the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2, beginning with verse 13. Let us listen to God's word. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I did not come to call people who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. It's one of the things that we know most surely about his ministry. It's one of the charges brought up against him at his trial. In this one paragraph, Mark wants to make it so clear that three different times it says Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He went home with Levi and there were tax collectors and sinners there. And the Pharisees complained, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners. As I was reading the story over and over again this week, I remembered a scene from the newspaper. The title of the story was Tea with the Queen, meaning the Queen of England. A few years ago, during the economic slump in Great Britain, the royal family caught some flack. They were chided in the press for being well above the struggles of ordinary people, but with their palaces and stables and large annual income, which after a thousand years you'd think they would be used to, but they brought it up and they complained. It was decided by someone that the queen should have tea with a commoner to show her solidarity with the people. And a representative, plain, ordinary person was selected. The team picked a lady who lived alone in a small apartment in Leeds. I don't suppose the woman could say no to tea with the queen. The queen and her entourage arrived. I imagine there was at a minimum a driver, some security, a photographer, a press secretary, and the queen. The two women... The homeowner and the queen had tea together. And the next day there was a picture in the press. The two of them are sitting in a tiny kitchen around a little kitchen table with a vinyl cloth on it. And there the two cups and saucers and the British pot of tea. And both of them are sitting there looking into the middle distance absolutely as glum as can be. <laughs> Now, I know the British are not known for gaiety, but these were two of the stiffest upper lips you've ever seen. (laughs) Who wants to have tea with the Queen? Apparently not this lady from Leeds. 
Jesus ate with sinners. Was this his idea of slumming? Was he showing that he could relate to commoners even though he was royalty? It does not seem so. Even though it's one of the main charges by his enemies that he had bad taste in who he ate with, it's clear that Jesus did this over and over again. It was not one little special event. He would stop in for supper at just about anybody's house. Levi the taxer, Simon the leper, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in the suburbs, Zacchaeus, another tax collector who lived in a big house in Jericho, as well as assorted Pharisees and fishermen. One gets the distinct impression that all these people liked having Jesus over for dinner. I think the text could well read, Jesus ate with sinners and they were glad to see him. Now the word sinner here in the passage comes across a bit harsh to us. It means in this Jewish community, those Jews who are not particularly religious, those people who are not keeping kosher, who are not memorizing the Torah, who were not in the synagogue on every Sabbath. These were people who needed a job, whatever job they could get. They were shunned by the kosher religious community for being somewhat unclean and inappropriate. So on this list are garbage collectors and fast food cooks and telemarketers and ambulance chasers and payday lenders. Some of them drink too much, some of them are in debt too much. Some have mental illness. Some are those nerdy kids at school who just don't have a clue. These were people who were just getting by in life. Fish cleaners, chicken pluckers, office workers, street sweepers, car wash attendants, migrant workers with no green card, some women who hung around on street corners at night. Many had to work on the Sabbath to make ends meet. Some had jail records. The old British elite referred to them as the great unwashed. The great unwashed. I remember my grandmother using that phrase. When challenged on his bad judgment, Jesus replied, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but those who are sick are glad to see one. I did not come to call on those who think they are fine, but to visit those who know their need. To visit those who know their need. To include those who have been excluded for too long. To welcome those who have been shunned. To feed those who know they are hungry. Instead of those who are full of themselves. Jesus eating with sinners seems to be mainly a move of welcome. Of inclusion. Of crossing lines. Of taking down barriers. Including social and religious barriers. You remember Jesus' favorite sermon, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn around, for God is very close to you. And then Jesus took his hand, and he held it out to as many people as possible. 
to lepers, to outcasts, to those who are being shunned, to blue-collar workers at Walmart, to women on the street and in the home, to Samaritans and Pharisees, and even a Roman centurion soldier. The kingdom of heaven is close at hand. And he would hold out his hand with bread in it at a table to show the welcome of God. I think that's what it means when it says Jesus ate with sinners. But we're not lepers, we're not outcasts, we're not among the shunned or the great unwashed. I'm sure the parents of all those lovely choir kids struggled at some length this morning to get them clean and into their Sunday clothes. We're religious folk. We say grace at our meals. We read our Bibles. We volunteer in the community. We give so that others may have help. We pretty much behave ourselves. So what does this passage have to do with us? Jesus saying, I did not come to call those who think they are fine, but those who know their need. The sacrament of Holy Communion this morning invites us to name our need. It encourages us to acknowledge our hunger, the places where we are empty, and to come with empty hands to the table instead of with a list of what we got done this week. To name our need for comfort in the face of death and grief. I visited a friend yesterday. We knew each other in high school. We are fishing buddies. His 30-year-old son died in his sleep two weeks ago. To name our need and our grief. To name our hope in the face of things we cannot get right. To name our need for help with urges and addictions that won't leave us alone. To name our need for courage in a world where the terrible... The headlines terrify us day after day. To name our need to let go of grudges and offer forgiveness. First of all, this table with its generous Messiah says that we may name our hunger and come to be fed. Jesus eats with sinners. And he dines with all who know their need. He is the physician who heals what ails us in body, soul, spirit, family, work, retirement, neighborhood, world. Come and eat. The second thing, the second thing I think this passage does is it sets us free to dine with some different people and to be surprised at where we run into the kingdom of heaven. Sets us free to walk across the lunchroom at the middle school or the retirement community to welcome the new kid. Sets us free to invite the new neighbors over even though they may be very different from us. Come on over and have a hamburger on the patio sets us free to go to a community meal because we know there will be people there who are quite different from us. Sets us free to sit down at the Caritas 
and to eat tacos with children who may not get washed before they sleep on cots in our basement tonight. Instead of tea with the queen, we could have coffee with someone who does not belong to our club, our political group, our PTA, our tennis team, our generation. And to see how the kingdom is larger than we imagine. To be surprised. Some years ago, our son was studying in Australia, and Marcia and I made a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Australia to visit him. And we left on Christmas Day, which was a Sunday. We went right from here to the airport. Dead of winter here, we flew to the south and got off the plane into summertime and Christmas. And a friend of his, the family, was having a big Christmas meal the next day and they invited us to come along. Now it's summertime and they set up this long table in the front yard under the shade trees and set it up with china and silverware and bottles of wine about every two feet all the way down the table. And Australians eat for two or three hours. There's just course after course and you talk and you have another glass of wine, you talk some more. Well, after about an hour and at least two glasses of wine, the host, the father of the family, turns to me and he says, So you're a pastor. What is that about? (laughs) Well, you know, I thought it was the Australian way of saying, So what do you do for a living? So I gave the real shorthand version. My father was a pastor in college. I felt the call and went to seminary and I've pastored a couple of churches. And he didn't want the shorthand answer. And he began to pepper me with questions about what I was doing and why I was doing it. And about halfway through it became clear that he thought I was a fairly normal person with some intelligence and why on earth would I be in a church? Nobody in Australia goes to church. It's a historic monument on the street corner. And so I spent at least 20 minutes trying to explain what we are about with someone who has no clue about the Holy Spirit, hasn't opened a Bible in forever. And I've thought about that conversation for years. I did not do a very good job of telling what we do. But it was such an incredible privilege to be challenged to explain why we are in here and what it is we mean when we say the love of God in Jesus Christ. I think this passage is an invitation to go and eat with some people who are quite different from us and to see what happens. At my last congregation we had an after school tutoring program and children from the public housing community would come across the street and come in for lessons. There was a new kid about seven years old and he walked up to me and he looked up at the church building and he looked at me and he asked in all seriousness, so are you Jesus? If we will cross some lines and go into some new places, we will have the surprising privilege of saying something about who Jesus is and the fact that he ate with all kinds of people, including people like us.
Thanks be to God.